It's really such a subversive song, uh, naming who the kingdom of God is, is for. It, it goes really against most of what we think about, or certainly most of what our culture tells us every day, and I appreciate the lyrics of that song for that reason alone. Hey, if you're with Branch Kids today, you get to depart now, if you'd like. Uh, this would be pre-K up to fourth grade. And they're headed out the back. Looks like Becky and maybe Mike and Janelle. Oh, Ezra, way to go, buddy. Thanks for your help. Appreciate it. Good. They'll be back here in this space uh, in just a little bit. Um, anyone here ever been sailing out on a sailboat? If, oh, okay. Question. Those of you who have been on a sailboat, you know, like scale of 1 to 10, easy or hard? Hard. <laughs> Did you have to captain the ship? How about that, when you were on the sailboat, or were you just along for the ride? Yeah, along for the ride, yeah, yeah. I have a neighbor who um, a couple years ago bought a sailboat, a, a decent-sized sailboat, and this summer he and his wife took their first kind of extended trip, about 10 days up the coast of Michigan, uh, Lake Michigan, and when he told me about it, I was both jealous uh, and relieved. Jealous because this sounded like an epic adventure, 10 days on the open water, and relieved because I thought, 10 days on the open water, it sounds like really, ugh, I'm not so sure. I mean, with sailing, there's like this whole language thing to learn. What side is starboard? I have no idea. You know, if you told me I would go to the wrong side, I know I would. Um, and sailing is physically demanding. I didn't realize that. Um, but it makes sense, right? If you're, if you're trying to make some, some nautical miles uh, on a journey, you want to cover some distance, the only way to do that is to have someone at the helm the whole time. Someone has to be steering the ship the whole time, which, okay, that makes a lot of sense when you think about it, but I had never thought about it. And so that meant that as they made this multi-day journey up the coast, someone always had to be at the steering wheel. And that becomes really exhausting. So, there is a little cheat here. You can buy and install an autopilot system, which they did, because they thought the idea of standing at that wheel the entire 10 days was just going to be too much. So they installed this, um, this autopilot system and I said to my neighbor, that's amazing. So like, all you have to do is go beep, beep, boop, 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 and then sit back and have your drink and you know, enjoy the sunshine. Well, not quite, he says to me, not quite. It's, it's great, he says. It was, we we're so glad we had it. But it's not a perfect system. You can buy maybe a multi-million dollar autopilot system, and that will dial you exactly into your destination. But for what they had, every hour or two, you better check your course. You better check the GPS and make sure that you're still on the path that you intended to be on because the winds shift and the currents change. And a small you know, shift in either of those things can lead to you actually ending up quite a bit away from the destination that you intended to be at. And that got me thinking about our lives and about my life and about how I often, it seems, 
I, I go on autopilot. You know what I'm talking about? You know, there have been many times in my life when I have decided a particular heading. I want to move in this direction. I want to become maybe this kind of person. Like, for example, uh, three weeks ago we talked about being incarnational. Many times in my life I have purposefully, personally thought I want to be that kind of person present to the people in my life and the places in my life. And so I start moving in that direction. And maybe I actually do. I actually move in that direction, toward that destination. But before too long, what happens? The winds shift. The currents change. And I get pulled a little bit off course, often without even realizing it, because I'm kind of on autopilot. I'm just trying to actually, most days, make it from one responsibility to the next from one calendar appointment to the next appointment. And days go by and weeks go by and months go by and all of a sudden one day I realize, whoa, I'm not where I thought I would be or where I hoped I would be. I think about simplicity, this core value we talked about a couple weeks ago, how we don't have to try. God doesn't ask us to be everything to everyone all the time. And yet, I may head out in that direction, on that course line, trying to follow that path, that example of Jesus, but before too long, I can easily get blown off course. And so, just as my neighbor needed to wake up from his nap and check the course of their sailboat to make sure that they were on the path that they intended, we need to regularly check, are we on the course that we intended? Are we moving in the direction that we hoped? And if not, then we need to adjust course. And that's really what this series has been about. Is my life, is your life, on the course that you intended it to be on? Are we thinking and acting in the way of Jesus? And this, this week we have one more opportunity to ask that question as we look at our fifth value, which is the value uh, which we might call to participate or participation. And I want to invite you to lean in this morning. In some ways, this fifth value, and these are not in any particular order, it's just the way that it worked out, although I did put this one last because in some ways it sums up all of them, or it has parts of all of them that we've talked about to this point. And to maybe help us get at this one, I want to look at a passage from 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Um, and I want to look at it from two different versions. The first one is the NIV, as you can see here. And uh, let's read this, this passage or this verse from 1 Corinthians 12. It's a long chapter on our part, the part that we have to play in the work of God in the world. And Paul, who's writing this book, is, this letter, is really just kind of getting warmed up here, getting started, and he says to the people in Corinth to whom he is writing, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Who manifestation of the Spirit. That is not language we use very often, is it? Anybody manifestation of the Spirit recently in conversation around the water cooler? Right, right. So what is that? about? What is, 
what does that mean? Well, that's one translation, and sometimes when you're reading the Bible, it's helpful to have a couple handy, just because it can help maybe tease out what's going on. So this is the message translation, and it translates the same verse this way. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. Each person. The NIV said each one. Everyone gets in on it. Scriptures are saying that there is no expendable parts in God's plan. No one sits on the sidelines in the way that God has designed things to work. This mission of shalom, of participating in the renewal of the world, that is for each person. Everyone gets in on it. Now, what do we get in on? Well... We get in on uh, having something to do. Each person is giving something to do. There is a role to play. As Paul says in chapter 12, if you read the whole chapter, he says you are a part of the body. You might be an eye. You might be an intestine. You might be a foot. You might be an eye. You know, there are all these parts. Some of them a little more glamorous, we might think, than others. But every part necessary and needed. In other words, that chapter tries to drill home the point that we need you. We need you to join in, to lock arms, so that the world will be made more whole. Each person is given something to do. What are we supposed to do? To show who God is, which I appreciate this translation, but it also isn't maybe quite clear what that means show who God is. So ask yourself the question, who is God? And what would you say? God is love. God is mercy. God is hope. God is faithfulness. God is wholeness. We show who God is. In other words, we show with our lives love. We show with our lives mercy. We show with our lives hope. The NIV translated this, you might remember, as the common good. When we show who God is, when we demonstrate love and mercy and hope and faithfulness, then, as the message puts it, Everyone benefits. The world is made more whole when you play your part. When you take what you have been given and you offer it back. That's what it means to participate in the renewal of the world. And I have a core conviction. I could be wrong, certainly. But I have a core conviction that every single one of us wants to see the world renewed. I really haven't met anyone who doesn't want that. Now, we might all long for that in different ways. We certainly have different passions for different parts of the world that are broken. But all of us have this ache, I think, to see the world renewed. And yet, 
With every moment of our lives, we are told not that we are to participate in the renewal of the world, but we are told every moment of our lives is a story, not that we are participants and contributors, but that we are consumers. This is the, it's not only, but it is certainly a part of the American story. You are a consumer, and the highest goal in this life is to satisfy your every desire, to take and take until you get what you want. Every moment of your life, that story is coming at you. I was headed to the gym one morning, listening to the radio, and it's 5.50 at that point, and so not much is getting into my conscious brain. <laughs> you know, it's all just kind of noise as I wearily drive uh, to where I'm going. But every morning at that time on NPR is the Marketplace Morning Report. The Marketplace Morning Report. Do I care about economics and the nitty-gritty of it? I don't. Am I, do I know a lot about it? I don't. But what I hear quite commonly on that show is that especially when, as we have been, the last few years we've been in this depressed economic state as a result of the pandemic. What I hear repeatedly is that the way out of the pandemic for the United States is for what to happen. It's for the consumer to spend money. That our economy is, is, is a consumer-based economy. And that is how we work our way out of this jam that we are in, is we get more, we buy more, we consume more. And listen, I get it. You know, I am a consumer and I will be my whole life. I consume food and I must in order to survive. And if I wore these same clothes my whole life and never bought another piece of clothing, still I would have consumed some material along the way. So listen, we're all consumers. That's not the issue. The issue is that consuming has become central to our identity that it has become, in this culture we live in, primary in our aim. And I think this has had all kinds of devastating consequences. Back in uh, 2017, four years ago already, we welcomed two authors right here to this space. Uh, Paul Sparks, Tim Sorens had co-written a book called The New Parish. We invited them to come and lead us in a day-long seminar. Some of you were there about how to be more present, incarnational, uh, in the places that are a part of our lives. It was a really great afternoon. Um, I appreciated them a lot. Well, Tim has written a new book. Uh, it came out this year, and it's called Everywhere You Look. I don't know if it's easy to read the font. It doesn't look like it even from here. But everywhere you look, it's not a big book, and I would recommend it if you are looking for something to add to your reading list. The subtitle is Discovering the Church Right Where You Are. And Tim writes about how easy it is to live in the United States and even view church as something to consume. I mean, we shop for churches, right? We use that language often. Faith, really, in a lot of ways, in, in this culture we live in, has become a commodity. 
and Sunday morning a product that we rate, just like we might rate a product on Amazon or a restaurant on Yelp. And the thrust of Tim's book is to help people see that the church is not a commodity. Shoot, even it isn't even something that we go to on Sunday morning. Church is not an hour-long gathering once a week. It is who we are every day of our lives. At least that's the argument he makes. I find it pretty compelling. Not surprising, I suppose. <laughs> and I know a lot of you do too. I know I'm preaching to the choir in a sense. But a lot of you are here at this church because we have tried all along to not make this thing that we do at this hour the thing or the, the most impressive, shiny thing possible as if that was the end. Um, so I'm preaching to the choir, and yet even the choir forgets sometimes, and even the pastor forgets sometimes. It's easy for me to think that if we just do fill in the blank, if we just offer fill in the blank, well then more people will buy, more people will come, more people will do. And so this is just kind of in the air, this way of thinking about our faith from a consumer standpoint. And Tim is inviting us to think about something different, to view the church not as a commodity, but as a family, a body working together to show who God is. People working for the common good. And everyone gets in on it, and everyone benefits. Tim says this in one of the opening chapters. Maybe he does, trust me, it's in there. Yep, there it is. We are being asked by the living God to collectively embody good news in our everyday lives. I actually think, whether he meant it or not, that is an echo of 1 Corinthians 12, 7 that we read earlier. We are being asked by the living God to collectively embody good news in our everyday lives. Yeah. We're being asked by God. In other words, God is the one who is, is behind all of this, moving, shaping, giving. God asks us to collectively band together in other words, you don't have to do it by yourself. You're not asked to solve every problem. But collectively, we embody the good news and we do it in our everyday lives. So let me ask you a question here as we end. And then we're going to transition into a tool. Uh, we're going to invite you to participate in a tool, if you will, that might help us all embody the good news a little better. But let me just ask you. You know, we've been talking for five weeks about these core values at the branch. And now we're here at this point where, again, I think this value kind of has pieces of all of them. And so this question might sound familiar to questions we've asked in weeks past, but it still is worth asking again, I think. What would it look like? What does it look like in your everyday life to embody good news? What does it look like 
in your everyday life, what could it look like to work for the common good, to show who God is, to embody love and hope? How would that change how you interact with people and places that are already a part of your everyday life? I think that question drives what we try to do here as a church, and I know it drives many of your lives as well. And so if today is simply an encouragement to continue on in this pursuit, I hope it's an encouragement. If you've gotten a little off course, unintentionally, that's often actually how it happens. We don't purposefully get off course. It just kind of happens. If you're off course today, what would it look like to adjust course, to reorient yourself, to recalibrate back towards the, the path that you would desire to pursue? And as you hold those questions, I want to invite Sarah Verkike to come on up here. Sarah's going um, to give us a tool or help us move forward in doing a better job collectively at embodying the good news. And she's got something in her hand that she's going to point you all towards, which is great. Yes. Yeah, you're welcome.